0: Welcome to another Rings of Power half-hour episode. This is episode 3, following the um, release of Rings of Power episode 3. I mean, I know they coincide, that's pretty crazy. Uh, Titled Adar, which is, uh, I think, Sindarin for father. It's an elf word. Uh, So, right away in the beginning, we see Arandir, the, uh, the elf, the sylvan elf, Uh, in a slave camp of sorts, of orcs, and uh, they're digging tunnels, it seems, or like trenches, kind of. And the orcs, um, as we know, are basically, in the simplest terms, allergic to sunlight, or at least their skin burns in the sunlight, because they are basically children of the dark. Um, And one of the orcs, played by Jed Brophy, who is returning in this episode, I'll talk a little bit about him in a sec, he mentions the character named Adar, for Adar, he says... So, Jed Brophy um, is a well-loved actor who's played in both the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy as many different characters. In the Hobbit trilogy, he played uh, the the dwarf Nori, which um, <clears throat> you'll know I have a particular distaste for the Harfoot character in the Ring's power named Nori because that is a dwarf name. So, what? Um, and then Jed Brophy also plays a slew of characters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, namely... Uh, as um, practical effects orcs and stuff like that. So, especially in the two towers, you'll see him. Um, so he's a very iconic actor, and he's uh, again returning in The Ring's Power, which is pretty cool to see. That's um, It's always cool to see a familiar character, even if he plays a different character. Um, <clears throat> and like I said uh, in other episodes, I'm not going to go over a huge overview of, or summary of the... Um, the whole episode because if you're listening to this you've likely already seen the episode so you don't need me to explain everything to you again so mostly this the whole point of this is we're just gonna kind of go over some of the lore changes what I thought was good just some of the major plot points stuff like that all right (coughs) continuing on sorry so now um, now we see Galadriel and Halbrand wake up on board of Elendil's ship and Galadriel notices that her dagger is missing Um, So she's like, oh gosh, what am I going to do if I can't fight? What am I without a sword? She doesn't really say that, but she probably would. Anyways, so um, they meet uh, Elendil for the first time, Halbrand and Galadriel. And uh, then they enter Numenor in a port city. Um, It seems like it opens up straight to the ocean, which is kind of interesting. But it's also kind of revealed to be Armenelos, which is the capital, which is in the center of um uh Numenor. So it's kind of interesting that they're showing it as a port city, but they're also trying to relay the the fact that Numenor is a kind of um like a seaside kingdom sort of thing. So maybe maybe they traveled up the river to get to uh, uh the Armenlos, the capital city, but it seemed more like it was a harbor out in the sea. I don't know, it was kind of weird. Um and then we meet uh, Ferrazon and Muriel. Ferrazon is called Chancellor Ferrazon, indicating that he's not yet in power, and Muriel is called Queen Regent. Uh, she's in power so far. Um, and it seems like they are married at this time. And then we get into some dialogue, uh, just kind of introducing themselves, and Galadriel wants passage back to uh, Middle-earth, but all of the Numenoreans basically dislike elves at this point because of what happened in the past and um, and so they, they're all like, oh no we're not going to do that for you, why would we do that for an elf? And then um, we uh, I think Galadriel mentions the fact that it's because of the elves that they were given the kingdom, which I thought was a hard no um, it's actually because of the Valar <laughs> I mean, so first of all, in the First Age the uh, the Adyne did help the elves in the war against Morgoth and so that was a big deal but it was mostly because the Valar granted them this uh they granted them this island because of their deeds in Middle-earth against Morgoth it wasn't just because the elves gave them the land or the elves uh is because of the elves um it was mostly just because of their deeds against Morgoth their uh, heroic acts and their defense so it's. Uh, I thought that was kind of stupid. It was just. There's, there's just a bunch of banter back and forth between Galadriel and Miriel and Farazone and Halbrand just trying to uh, debate over whether they could get passage back to Middle-earth or stay here or get rid of them or whatever. Um, and it also kind of shows, too, that uh, this is what I like, that Fairzone is a little prejudiced towards elves, which is um, very on character for him, even though he doesn't fully reveal it yet, but it's like, okay, I like this Fairzone is pretty cool so far. Um, yeah, and then uh, Fairzone also mentions uh, Muriel's father, um, but he doesn't say by name, he, and it's kind of like a bad taste in his mouth a little bit, but it's uh, Tar Palantir is Muriel's father and um so we hold on I'm trying to open my phone to get to something so we're in Numenor so far Numenor is probably other than khazad Doom and maybe Linden is one of my favorite places so far Numenor it looks fantastic I've noticed in the architecture that there's um uh what do you, what do you say uh like, you can see where, like, some of the Elvish influences there, but then you can see some of the newer architectures more, like, I guess, Middle Eastern or, um, like, Roman-type architecture, indicating that this is stuff mostly influenced by the men and not the Elves because the Elves, they kind of uh, distance themselves from. But at first, they were friends with the Elves. So it's like you can see some parts of the city have Elvish influence and other parts, like, higher up, like the King's Palace or the Queen's Palace or whatever is more of a mannish influence, which is kind of cool, so, that's just a little something, um, I'm trying to look up something here, um, because I just remembered something about, uh, mentioned about Tar-Muriel's family, so let me look up Tar-Muriel, um, okay, I'll get to it in a second, I'm just opening it um, Okay, okay, I've got it opened. Ready. Anyways, so, um, and then Farazone also has to explain to Muriel who Elendil is, because she asked who the captain of the ship was who brought Galadriel and to, um to shore. And he has to explain to Muriel who Elendil is, which is just crazy, because also Farazone and El- Elendil actually were friends, um, I mean, they did, uh, start to despise each other towards the end when Farazan took over and, uh, basically, um, uh, what do you say? It wasn't really, he wasn't really genocidal towards the faithful, but he was pretty evil towards them. Um, genocidal maybe towards the end, but anyways, and then Muriel should know him because they are like, like somewhat like I don't know like third cousins or I don't know I have the family tree up I don't know how you would explain that but they are like cousins to some degree so they should know each other plus Elendil should be on the uh, the council that uh, obviously councils the king and the our fair zone and everything so I don't know kind of interesting that they have to explain who Elendil is but it was probably just something to explain to the viewers who maybe don't know who Elendil is who Elendil is so, uh, whatever, I just kind of scoffed at it and went on with it. And then we also get to meet young Isildur, who's kind of making his way in Numenor as a sailor, uh, trying to follow in his uh, father's footsteps. And in no way does it mention that Isildur has a brother, but it does mention that he has a sister, and we meet the sister uh, whose name is Eirion, which means daughter of the sea, which is kind of a cool. Even though uh, she's not an actual character in the books or anything like that, it is possible that, you know... Uh, she or door and Anarian would have a sister uh, even though they're never mentioned um, but I, I, she's not like she doesn't take away from the show she doesn't um, it's, a, it's kind of a cool character you know as far as what we've seen from her there's not much but it's kind of interesting it's just kind of interesting for me to think about like family trees and stuff you know I'm that kind of person <laughs> um, anyways so uh, we also see the white tree a little bit in our which is kind of cool. It's still intact, so there's nothing super evil going on, I guess. And then um, and then Muriel mentions her father's... Like, no elf has come here since her father's great-grandfather was here. I think that's right. I, I can't remember what I wrote down, um, or what was in the show, but I wrote down her father's great-grandfather. So I have her um, family tree pulled up. So her father's Tar Palantir, and Tar Palantir's great-grandfather. So... Um grandfather Arzimrathon. So let me look him up. Um okay, so let me see. Arzimrathon means collector of jewels. Um and then let's see. Uh and his quenya name Hostamir means many jewels, so it's pretty much the same. Um but there's nothing much about him and the elves, I guess. And it could also be. I wrote down the wrong <laughs> name or something. Let me look up another one. Um, yeah, nothing else. Okay, whatever. Uh, I don't think it's a huge deal, I guess. Oh. yeah okay it might have been actually i might have gotten it wrong it might have been muriel's grandfather's great-grandfather because um, i just looked up our adunakor which is her grandfather's great-grandfather and he is the first king of numenor to take his name in Adunaik instead of quenya and he pretty much was the first to kind of reject the faithful Numenorians and the valar and the elves so i think that's what she was referencing i think i just wrote it down wrong so that's what that is are Adunacore is who she's mentioning so that's kind of cool just a, a little more like easter eggs kind of throwing out some like lore that uh um, viewers um like big fans will notice and stuff like that so um and then we go back to the elves in the southlands or the 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 slaves and the orcs and the digging of the pits and stuff and um the elves are talking um And they believe that Adar could be another name for Sauron because they're wondering why the orcs are using an elvish name for their master Um, and so they believe it could be another name for Sauron um, who told the orcs to call him Adar so kind of keep his name secret but um, and then I like these orcs too because they're practical effects you know they're not cgi or anything and they look very grotesque like how you would imagine an orc and they look really They look really cool like some of them even have like old elfish armor on taken from the like first age battles which is kind of cool because they scavenge a lot Uh, and so that's pretty cool and they're they're pretty cruel too it's like what you would see in like the two towers when mary and pippin are being dragged around by those orcs Um, and another thing to mention too is that these orcs like i was saying in the beginning are um basically burning the sunlight but then the orcs and the Lord of the Rings didn't burn in sun. Like, why is that? That's because those orcs in the Lord of the Rings were called Urukai, and they were special breeds made to not burn in the sun so that they were more superior. So that's why it's a big deal that the uruk are in the Lord of the Rings. Um, and then we go back to Elendil and Galadriel and Elendil um, takes Galadriel to the Hall of Law, which is like a quarter's day right away. I don't know exactly where it is, um, but it could be maybe to the north um i don't have a map on me right now but it could be to the north because it's talking about how it could be like a like tarp um no it it was elros who built it okay so i don't really know where it is exactly i'm just kind of guessing but it, it talks about how elros built the hall of law and that's where like they keep all of their scrolls of history and lore and stuff like that and laws of course um and then galadriel talks about how she knew elros um And, which isn't necessarily, um, like, I don't because I think she left the first, like, or she left Beleriand before the first age was over with her husband, Celeborn, um, before Elros was born, maybe, or I don't even, it could be possible that she's met Elros before, but he would have been very young. I don't think she would have ever met him as a king. Um, but she did say that she knew his brother better, Elrond. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then we get a scene of Halbrand kind of talking with some of the local Numenorians. Um, he seems to be a smith because he's trying to convince one of the um, blacksmiths to let him join, and the blacksmith's like, "Oh, you can't, you can't be a, a metal smith for Numenor unless you have one of the crests of the guild or something like that." So he's like, "Okay, whatever." And then he's talking to some other people outside, and he notices one of them has the guild crest. And so he kind of tries to sneak his way like cleverly like get to him so he can get his uh so he ends up kind of like there's like a little rough patch in the beginning but then he ends up befriending them and then he ends up like patting him on the back before he leaves and then he kind of takes the crest so but then the guy notices that his crest is gone and he corners him in an alleyway and Halbrand gets kind of pushed around and beat up and stuff, but then Halbrand comes up and they also call him low man Which is in reference to he's not Numenorean, you know, he's not basically uh, He doesn't have the blood of elves in him and he doesn't have um, uh, The Numenoreans have longer lifespans. They were granted longer lifespans and uh, He doesn't have a long lifespan and he's not like one of them He's not like one of the superior people basically, so they call him low man And obviously that makes Halbrand mad uh, which I can guess why, but I'll get to it later. Um, I mean, I think it would make anyone mad if you were called a low man, and um, so he gets uh, he gets upset and he's like, uh, he starts beating the crap out of him basically. So it's obviously he's some sort of warrior and knows combat very well. So it's just kind of uh, crazy. That was a pretty cool scene that little fight. Um, but then he gets captured by the guards, and he's like, "Well, okay, I did I did a fist fight. I don't really want to fight someone with spears with my fists, so." he kind of just gives in um and then uh let's see let's see and then also galadriel finds out that the symbol that sauron has been leaving around is actually a map of mordor which i think almost everyone has guessed that already um and she kind of holds it up to a map of mordor and she's like oh this is where sauron's gonna start his base of operations or whatever so um we kind of get that whole thing because Mordor at this point, I guess, is just called the Southlands. Because Mordor and Sindarin means black land. So it's not necessarily an evil land yet. It's just called the Southlands. Um, then we go to the Harfoot Festival right before their migration. And Sadok leads a chant that kind of goes, Nobody goes off trail. Nobody walks alone. So I guess their whole thing is, if everyone sticks together, if no one does anything um, rash or... Out of the ordinary then we'll all be safe and we'll all have a good life and we'll all you know stick together and that sort of thing so that's their whole uh, thing and then sadduck's speech is very akin to bilbo's farewell speech i thought which i thought was a cool nod i'm liking the harfoots less and less as i go along i didn't like how much they showed the harfoots in this one because it didn't give a lot of um it didn't move the plot forward very much even though it showed meteor man or the stranger whatever you want to call him a little bit it didn't really move his story forward other than the fact that they found out that where his stars might be or something. I don't know. But it didn't really show anything. It was kind of stupid, so I'm liking them less and less. Um, So far, Numenor is great. The Southlands are still okay. I like a Rondeer story, and I like now that we're getting close to Adar and who he could be. Um, So that's pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, and then Sadduck's speech is like Bilbo's farewell speech. I thought that was kind of cool. I think that was one of the only things I liked about the Harfoots in this one. Um. let's see um, yeah and then Meteor Man kind of stumbles through the camp uh, looking for food and then everyone discovers him and Nori is kind of revealed as his uh, friend and so he kind of rats on her basically by saying her name and so everyone's like <gasps> and then their Nori's family has to go in the back of the caravan because they brought a giant with them so well um, and then and then, yeah, so, and then we see Arian, Isildur, and Elendil talking about Isildur's, uh trial at sea to become a sailor, um, and Isildur doesn't want to do it anymore, and he wants to follow in his brother's footsteps, maybe, and go back west, and so then we're like, okay, basically, Anarion's back, okay, I because the way they made it seem is that Isildur did not have um, a brother and just a sister, and I was like, well, where's Anarion, but I guess he's in there. They just didn't really mention him at first, um, unless I missed it. But yeah, so we get a mention of Anarion. Uh, maybe he's off at sea, or maybe he's in the lands of the West where his um, mother's family lives, and where I guess Elendil's family lives too. Um, and then Elendil seems to kind of, like he he kind of snaps at Isildur and Aarion. Ar- and so it seems like he has a lot on his plate right now. Uh, maybe it's just from trying to be uh keep secret that he's one of the faithful um and that he really wants to help galadriel or maybe he um just misses his wife and he's kind of lost without her that sort of thing i don't really know um and then we see galadriel visit halbrand in his jail cell um and she finds something apparently on Halbrand's like little like seal or that little necklace he carries that little uh, emblem and she says it was the emblem of the king of the southlands so back to episode one it makes sense that that guy who said in the like the tavern kind of in the southlands that guy who said uh, one day our king will return or something like that and all you elves will leave or something like that so i was thinking he was maybe like being bold and saying it was sauron but no um so let's see uh yeah so it, it appears that halbrand is the uh the what do you call it descendant of the king of the southlands who rallied who rallied everyone to his uh under his banner and under that emblem to fight off or basically to fight in the war against the elves with morgoth so he, he was on morgoth's side and then halbrand mentions that that was his ancestor who swore a blood oath to morgoth and not him and he's not the hero Galadriel's searching for. And besides, she doesn't even have an army to protect the Southlands. And she's like, okay, well, we can make that change. I can maybe convince everyone. Uh, okay, whatever. Um, and then she, Galadriel also says that their meeting was the work of something greater, like Eru or Manwe, um, maybe influencing it. I don't really think so. I don't really, I mean, first of all, it's not really part of the lore, so I don't, that's just probably why I don't think so that Galadriel's on Numenor and meeting a king of the Southlands, um, whatever. And then uh, Muriel also goes up to this tower and she talks to her father, tar uh, the former king. Uh, we don't see him, but she just kind of talks to him for a second. Oh, oops. And uh, maybe I should mute my computer. Okay, there we go. And uh, she says... She talks to Palantir that the moment they feared has arrived um, and that an elf was in Numenor. And so it might be insinuating that um, uh, whenever, like, since the elves have left Numenor or, like, stopped visiting, that the next time an elf did come, that there would be something, like, the faithful would be kind of pressed to make a decision. Are they loyal to Numenor or are they loyal to the elves? That sort of thing um and palantir also should be mentioned is he's kind of far seeing he can see visions of the future and stuff like that so and uh he was named after well the word palantir literally means far seeing i think and that's also what those like little crystal globe balls are called the palantiri Um, so it's the same same kind of thing same concept Um, meteor man helps Brandyfoot's haul their wagon at the back of the caravan and the elves instigate a fight against the orcs with the men and then we get revealed to a warg uh, which is one of those like evil wolf things um and it looks kind of weird like it looks cool but then you see its eyes and it just looks goofy and you're like what the heck um and i heard uh uh matt from Nerd of the rings i watched his overview of the episode as well and he says it looked like ugly sonic from the the first sonic movie it had the um the first uh rendering of sonic that they got and so I don't know why I just explained that, but I thought it was funny. Um, and then, uh, so we see um, both of Arondir's elf friends, who he was in the guard with, are, are killed um, trying to escape or just trying to fight and stuff like that. And then the warg is killed, and then Arondir is also trying to escape, and he gets pulled back down out of back into the trenches, and um, and then he uh, let's see. And then an orc is about to kill him on the ground, but then another one says, no, bring him to Adar or something like that, or bring, like, have Adar come here. And then the last shot we get of the episode is, um, this kind of character in this, like, black spiky armor coming, walking down the trenches. And then we see a very blurry shot of Joseph Maul as, I think it's Joseph Maul. Anyways, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh walking down the trenches and then we see like a blurry shot of his face with his dark hair and then that's like the last scene. So oh my gosh, the dryer just went off. Um yeah, so that's that's kind of the end. Um my neighbor's also mowing his lawn too, so that's a perfect timing uh for the end here. So I'll just kinda go over there wasn't a, a whole bunch of lore changes in this one other than Gladio being on Numenor, um, and the whole elves basically because the elves the um the men had numenor and stuff like that uh, other than that there wasn't a whole lot i didn't really like the heartfoot's this time i loved the, all the shots of numenor Elendil's a great character isildur is looking to be a great character i uh, can't wait to see more of him and then um i can't wait to see Adar. i think that's going to be pretty cool and i wonder what his connection is with um uh, like Sauron and all that sort of stuff and then also I mentioned earlier about Halbrand being called a low man and it's because he's the king of the Southlands and he didn't like that or he could be the king of the Southlands um, I think and a lot of other people think this too but my personal theory is that he will eventually become the witch king um, one of the ringwraiths of Sauron and that he will try and unite all of his people in the Southlands Against Sauron, but then we'll see Sauron take form as Anatar, um, and Halbrand won't know that it's Sauron because he can't really perceive it that well, and he'll accept one of the Rings of Power from Sauron/slash Anatar, hoping to, you know, use its power against the Orcs of Sauron. But then he becomes consumed by it and becomes a Ringwraith, aka the Witch King, because we know the Witch King is a Black Numenorean from the South, um, so. It's uh, very possible, and I'm hoping that's actually correct because that would be sweet. So that's kind of the whole episode overview. Um, I basically did a whole summary of it. I didn't mean to, but um, and there wasn't a lot of lore changes, so I didn't really have much to go over that. I didn't, in terms of where I liked it, I would say this is like the um, the first three episodes here. I would say episode one is probably my least favorite so far just because it was slow they were just introducing everyone and there was like some weird lore changes in there that I didn't really like um episode two is my favorite so far and then episode three is number two um so it's you know it's it's better than episode one I'd say um and they're still trying to introduce people I guess so it still feels a little slow um yeah, so I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to keep watching more because I really want to see who Adar is. And I really want to see more of the dwarves in Khazad-Dum. I'm disappointed they didn't have anything with Elrond or Durin in this uh, episode. But I guess we'll probably see them in the next episode. Because I can't imagine they'd go two episodes without them. Seeing as they're everyone's favorite characters. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, still kind of disappointed with some parts and uh just mostly excited to see how it plays out uh because i know how it plays out in the books but i want to see like what they make some of these non-canon characters to be basically um yeah so that's a uh, rings power half hour i have no track of time right now so i don't know if that actually was half an hour but we'll just say it's close i guess we'll see uh so that's it for today's episode, little Rings of Power half hour. And Jay will be here next weekend doing his summary and overview of episode four of the Rings of Power. Um, and that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Bye.